Welcome to the Roz Project, the place where you will learn how to thrive and grow in every aspect of life, family, entrepreneurship, personal development, tech, and marketing using real, raw, and 100% no bullshit proven tactics. My name is Ivan Tomokov, and I'm your host. And ladies and gentlemen, on today's episode, I have a very special guest that we're going to get down real, raw, and dirty and talk about some real shit I have with me Mr. Andrew Peck. Andrew, how's it going, man? Hey, it's going well. I don't know about the Mr. though. <laughs> You're making <laughs> me sound old. Andrew Peck. So, Andrew, I'm really excited to have you on, man. And, and before we jump into uh, chatting more about your story and how you got to what you're doing today, I just want to give a brief intro to listeners and viewers so they know the caliber of person that you are and what you've accomplished. So, Andrew is an internationally recognized authority on innovation, design, thinking, and entrepreneurship for startup to mature companies. Andrew has helped organizations such as Bayer, BNP Paribas, Citigroup, Pfizer, and Steelcase become more innovative. Andrew has been invited to speak worldwide, and his views on innovative leaders, change management, and design thinking have been featured on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, the New York Times, Investor Business Daily, and Chicago Tribune. Man, like that is like a wealth of accomplishments. First of all, congratulations on all of this, man. I mean, you know, I, I, I think if there's one thing that we as men, when we reflect back on our lives, we look at what the fuck did I accomplish? Really? Yeah. So these are some pretty awesome accomplishments. But before we dive into that and talk about the business side, let's start with your story. Tell us in a few minutes, you know, your background, where you've been, what you've seen. I want people to get to know you more on a personal level. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting to hear when somebody else like yourself, you know, sort of details my biographical sketch. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm like, I'm like, really, did I do that? Uh, you know, and, and, and yet, uh, that is only partial, uh, description of the true me, right. The story. But I, I had this sense always when I was growing up as a young man that, you know, I, I I knew I was going to do something special. I loved the friends that I grew up with, hung out and, you know, uh, did, uh, you know, at school and, you know, the playground and sports and all those sort of things. But I always knew that there's something waiting for me that I knew that I had to go out and grab as far as uh, accomplishment in terms of the work that I do. I, we t- chatted a little bit before, yeah. you know, I'm Eastern European. My family's from Hungary. Uh, they're immigrants. Uh, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, very industrial. Mm-hmm. Like there was, I think at one point, more Hungarians in Cleveland, Ohio than any other city than Budapest. So wow. it was like, a, it was like a little... Uh, yeah. Uh, as they say, Magyar, or, you know, Hungarian nation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had that always sense of striving and achievement. So I, I started really early on working. Like when I was 13 years old. Uh, my mom said, summer job, you got to get a job. You know, you got to learn yeah. work, <laughs> yeah. which now sounds a little like indentured servitude, you know, uh, um, you know, kids today, I don't know if they're is always as ambitious or pushed that way by their parents, but my parents did, believed in a strong worth ethic. So I, early on, started to work. I was a caddy at a golf course, which, so, you know, there was work, I was earning money, which was yeah. superb. But what I learned early on, it wasn't just the business currency, the knowledge of the job that mm-hmm. I uh, mastered, 
but it was the relationships. Uh, even learning how to play golf, for example, and working uh, and interacting with people who are way above my pay grade and education and status in life at the time. My parents, uh, you know, we began from humble beginnings. Mm-hmm. And so that really taught me early on the value of connecting with people early on. And, and I've applied that sort of ethos ever since. So when I graduated from college, I went working for a large oil company. My friends thought I sold out uh, to a big oil company. <laughs> uh, worked in uh, marketing, worked yeah. in human resources, had a nice set of experiences. And I thought, all right, this is pretty good. You know, I'm making good money. I had a really nice car, all those uh, things that you would expect uh, with that achievement. But I wasn't satisfied. I, I felt like, all right, having a good job is nice. Thinking about, uh, you know, getting married someday and having a family, you know, all, all of which was sort of, again, maybe my conditioned response on how you live your life. But I felt this burning desire to do more. And so yeah. even during the time when I was working full time early on, I, uh, I had side entrepreneurial things going on, businesses, and I was starting to do some already freelance kind of consulting. So I ended up in professional services, worked with a large firm called Accenture uh, that's on my resume. Mm -hmm. And wow, did that my world explode because not only was I doing work, I was traveling all over the world, working with some of the most senior companies and leaders. It was really heady stuff. It was just amazing. Sometimes those pinch me moments, right? Right. And then that just gave me the foundation. And my world went from, uh, you know, my parents were educated and hardworking. But I think when I grew up out of my system in Cleveland, Ohio, which is a great place to grow up, I started to see the world in different ways when I started to travel, which was uh, totally amazing and uh, enriched my life. And then gave me the sort of uh, confidence to want to do more, to help people be yeah. more innovative, creative, and so forth and so on. So, I mean, I could go on the backstory, it, you yeah, know, yeah. dig and zag wherever you like, just dive in there with sure, me. Sure, sure. Um, you know, it's really interesting. You said something in the beginning. Um, I, I, I don't know if it was, if it has something to do, but maybe it does have something to do with, you know, being an immigrant also and kind of having sort of that different mentality because I think us immigrant, immigrants are really hungry and very driven. You know, it's kind of almost like ingrained in our DNA, I think. And what mm. you were saying earlier on is just that, you know, when you were growing up and when you were a kid, you sort of had this intuition that you were destined for something greater. Like you knew it inside yourself, like like you knew you wanted to do something, but you weren't sure how to attain it. And obviously, you know, when you're really young, like you just don't have any direction, right? Like you don't know how to go about something. So it's really interesting that at a very young age, you know, you actually had that intuition. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I, re- I recently talked about how intuition creates direction and how so many people don't actually listen to their intuition. You know, like they, they almost have like that gut feeling or maybe that inner voice that says, how about you try this, you know, or try that. But they don't, they don't, they self-doubt themselves. So it's interesting you had that intuition and then Another thing that you mentioned that's, you know, really, really key also, and I'm a big fan of this, is people. You talked about the ethos, Uh, because I think that in business specifically, you know, I mean, we do business with people. We don't do business with companies. So being able to connect with other people, knowing how to connect with other people, you know, on an emotional level is so important. 
And so when you said that you got that job and you were traveling around the world and you were talking to all these leaders, right? It kind of give you a, gave you a firsthand experience of how people think and act. And suddenly you're like, wait, you know, you're not so different. And, and you get to learn all this different perspective. The question I have for you is, so when you were traveling and we were meeting all these like senior management people, right? What, what were some things that kind of stood out to you? Because you were observing, right? Like you were absorbing all the experience, the people, the conversations. Were there certain things like earlier on that you started to pick up on, like constants that really stood out to you? Yeah, those are great questions, Ivan. By the way, I did listen to your podcast on intuition. I loved yeah. it because you, you, you nailed it. it, it it's yep. that feeling that I had. I didn't know what the end result or the next step necessarily, but I had that sensation. And, and thank you for validating it because I did yep. trust it. Now, sometimes, uh, I, you know, years later when you had some setbacks, I, I yep. started to doubt it. Yep. <laughs> but um you know, when I when I started working with uh, large corporations, and I, I'll give you a, a, an example of of this uh, early on, when I started working with some senior leaders, I, I, even just back a few years ago, when I worked with BNP Paribas in, in France, yeah. here I was, couldn't speak the language, I knew a little French, uh, but uh, not enough to be fluent in it. And, and fortunately, they were all fluent in English, so I could do this meeting. I was with the top 500 leaders all over the world. I mean, it's pretty mm -hmm. intense, pretty yeah. intimidating. But I, I was working with some of the senior executives, and what just was so impressive is their presence in the moment that they could really sort of quiet the room, really listen, really command uh, the, the, the group, yeah. you know, speak uh, art with articulate words. And, and, and I thought, wow, that is a, an amazing sense of quality of leadership. And, and I've always been interested in how other people can be influential. Yeah. And so it not only helped me uh, do the work that I do with groups. So I've done a lot of facilitation with large groups presenting that I can command a room and, and, and influence people. But learning the, some of the, you know, the tradecraft, if you will, their secret yeah. sauce and yeah. how they do that, how they ask questions, how they listen, how they respond, how they um, use humor, for example, yeah. to build yeah. rapport. So those were some of the early things that I saw, those subtle, softer things. Wasn't always what people knew. You know, I met, I've met a yeah. lot of bright people who couldn't um, communicate to a doorknob. You know, uh, they were not they were thick in terms of their interpersonal skills, even though yeah. they were incredibly yeah. intelligent. And that's not an insult on their intelligence. It just didn't have that sort of emotional sort of uh, currency that I thought was essential to building really effective relationships. So question for you, actually, because I'm curious knowing this, and this is, I think, mainly for a personal reference. So when you were surrounded in that experience that you had, that you just said, was you were surrounded with all these like top leaders, did you feel intimidated in a way? Oh yeah. I mean, there was this moment, um, uh, and maybe it's this Eastern European guilty sort of, yeah. you know, like how the hell did this little skinny yeah. little boy from Cleveland, Ohio, ethnic boy, right. get this moment in time. I remember before I was going to be uh, introduced to this group, my heart was about to leap right out of my chest. 
Yeah. And, and, and mind you, I had had plenty of experience being in front of lots of different groups, but there is something sure. about that being in a foreign country, not speaking the language around these people, knowing that I, I had to operate a little bit differently. I had to show a sort of a different nuanced approach to how, because sometimes I'm very animated. I do some crazy stuff and use colorful language to engage people. Yeah. But I knew that wasn't going to necessarily fly in this audience, particularly right. since English wasn't their first language. So the moments up to that point where I was introduced, uh, it was like, whew, heady, yeah. right? Um, almost like, in, in, you know, uh, if you ever saw the movie, um, oh gosh, it was uh, that Turkish prison movie, wherever that, you know, the, oh, I forget the, the, the name of the actor. And, um, oh, now I'm going to forget about Drawing it. But a blank. He, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, drawing a blank. But there was a scene where, you know, he's doing something illegal. You know, yeah. he's trying to get cocaine out of Turkey and and his heart is just pounding. The, the whole scene of that movie is he's just the adrenaline and adrenaline is so high. Yeah. Uh, he's just knows that, oh, my God, this is an intense moment. Well, I felt like that, of course, not yeah. cocaine or yeah. something like that, but it had that yeah. same sensation. You know, the reason I actually asked that question is because uh, well, it's not it's not just for me. I think it's for listeners and viewers, too, is that I think uh, at least once in our lives, it's probably more than once, at least we fall into these situations where I know I have feeling intimidated, like we don't belong there. Like it's like you said, you had that adrenaline. Your heart was about to explode. And and you're like, there's so much probably going through your mind or was going through your mind thinking like, how the fuck did I get in here? Like, am I supposed to be here? Like, what what if I say the wrong thing? Right. Like, you've got all this self-doubt. Right. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because what most people don't understand is that you were meant to be there. Like you were supposed to be there. You were supposed to be there. You got there for a reason. You did something. Something happened. You know, forces of nature, God, you know, you, you were meant to be there. And I think the, the reason I'm talking about this and why I asked the question is because I think commonly, especially entrepreneurs feel intimidated. In fact, 99% of entrepreneurs quit because, you know, they, they come across a hurdle and they say, well, this is too tough. I'm going to throw in the towel. Well, duh. You know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. That's so why I personally am a fan of the 1% club because to be in the 1% club takes, takes everything that the other 99% are unwilling to do. Everything. Sure. So it's, go ahead. Yeah, no, I love that. There's a certain sense of displaced feeling and that, you know, to go back to that moment, that's exactly yeah. how I felt. It was like I was having this out of body experience. And again, this is based on many years of experience. So the, the point is, is you start to really... Uh, put yourself out there the moment that you feel vulnerable or you really take some risk uh, and, and challenge yourself, you, you suddenly realize, all right, I'm in it. I'm in this game. And, and so now how am I going to seize that moment? Yeah, because it only gets more intense thereafter. But I, I have to say that I've been always attracted to that. I have a zest for like challenging myself even more so like what's yeah. next? And that was something new at the time that, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. And, and to then look back on it and say, wow, what an incredible experience that was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. 
No, uh, that's just it. I mean, the reason I, like I said, I, I also to elaborate <laughs> on the question that I asked is because, you know, I think there's so much, I mean, if I personally reflect on the last 20 plus years, it's like, you know, there's, there's so much, like we talked about intuition, right. Uh, in the beginning and that, and that earlier on that, you knew you were destined. I think a lot of people, you know, probably know at an early age that they were destined for something or kind of have this gut feeling that tells them that, you know what, like, I'm going to do something later on in my life. I don't know what it is, but it's just there. Right. Because let's just face it, like as human beings, we're not that blend. You know, we have goals, we have dreams. I think now that I look back to my childhood, I probably had so many goals and dreams that like I just lost sight of a lot of those, honestly, because I just thought that it was impossible. And being a father now and a husband, it's like, you know, my you know, my son's five years old and my daughter's going to be three. And we we're talking about education before we had to record. But I'm like, you know what? If my son decides not to go to college and he's really dead set on something that he wants to do, I mean, he's good at sports. He's very intelligent. He loves playing games. Like, let him pursue that. You know, when I was a kid, I was told that follow the yellow brick road because <laughs> you're an Eastern yeah. European, you know, and that's what I had ingrained in my head. So, like, guess what? When I dropped out of college, <laughs> that was a huge fucking disappointment because, you know, I'm the son of a first gen immigrants and they're like, you know, they had these high hopes and dreams and expectations that I was going to be the first to graduate college in the United States of America and, <laughs> and sort of forge this flag in, in, in the family tree and make my milestone. It's like, no, I mean, you, 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 you walk the path that you create for yourself, you know, and, and now, I'm a firm believer of that. So uh, I want to go back to there's a few things I still want to touch upon because, you know, you, you're 30 years now into advising top leaders and companies and empowering other uh, entrepreneurs uh, and change makers to be more effective. But here's the question I want to know is how did you even get the opportunity? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs wonder about this, right? Like the million dollar opportunity. How did you even get the opportunity to be surrounded with all these leaders because you're this kid from Cleveland, Ohio. Right. Well, it's, it's right. And if you notice in my sort of, I was just riffing with you, you know, I was, I, yeah. my mind, the mental model was, all right, let's give Ivan and my, the, your audience, a nice linear sort of progression in, uh, to my career. Yeah. But in reality, you know, it's serendipity. Some things just sort of emerged um, that I just, because I took the initiative. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Chronologically speaking, you know, I was educated. Uh, I did. Uh, I had a uh, undergraduate degree in political science, so it was more. And thank God, I wasn't a you know choose to be a lawyer or anything like that. <laughs> that wouldn't have fit my personality. But I had early on a, an internship with this oil company. It was uh, you know BP, and that gave me the foundation. And I was surrounded by some really smart, educated people who kind of took me under the wing. So mentorship was really key during yeah. the early days so that I was fortunate in that regard. Uh, and then I, I remember too, there was a job that I was really not qualified for. I, I, I just, I just always had this nature. I said, I know I can do this job. I can do yeah. it. And, and I hounded this, uh, the hiring manager. And, and so that was just yet another stepping stone. And then, and then, you know, over time and a combination of just my own chutzpah and initiative combined with uh you know some other people who gave me some coaching 
Yeah. And Ivan, I wouldn't be uh, uh, honest with you if I didn't say in setbacks and failures, you know, there are jobs yeah. that I got fired at or, or, <laughs> or, or I fired them. Yeah. Right. I, uh, I, it was like, this is, this is BS. This is not for me. Yeah. You know, I had these sort of existential moments again, again. And I realized, all right, as I did reflection, what is that intuition? What is the, the voice inside the, yeah. how do I follow my heart? And, and so uh, because of that, uh, you know, I started to experience greater, bigger, like I said, world of working with multiple different people and, um, you know, some pretty amazing, uh, like I said, individuals. Um, yeah. So yeah. That kind of sums it up. Well, you know, there's a couple of things that you said that I want to highlight on. You said serendipity. You know, I think a lot of people wonder like, and this is a misconception that I had is where I'm going with this is when I was younger, I thought that these fucking millionaires and billionaires, right. Had it served on a silver platter, right? Like someone said, you're going to wake up today and have a million dollars in your bank account, right? <laughs> Are you going right. to be the most influential person in the world? Right. And, and that was so far from the truth, honestly. And when I really got to know it over the years is I realized that these were very hardworking people. And then we're just, you know, it's it's who who, you know, is is very important. And what you know is also very important. Yes. The serendipity plays in that part. So, like, the reason I asked the question of, like, how did you get this opportunity? Because that's what most people wonder is, like, how does this kid from Cleveland, Ohio, get to be in a room of some of the most influential leaders around the world? Right. Because wh why not them? Why you? People always compare. Right. That, that's what they do, because especially people who aspire to be greater and maybe they're just not where they want to be. Right. They start to compare and say, well, why him and not me? You see what I'm sure. saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say first and foremost, it was belief in myself. I mean, even in my darkest days, yeah. if you will, I still had this internal burning flame. I, I believed in myself. I knew yeah. that I was capable and there was something else there waiting for me. And I never gave up. I still, to this day, um, never give up. I'm yeah. always yearning to do more, learn more, be more, uh, better, all those sorts of uh, aspects. So it's that belief. Um, but you, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, pre-record. Yeah. You know, there's so many people that you encounter in life and work who will tell you, oh, you can't do that. Why would you do that? Oh, only these people do that. There's a lot of doubt, right? Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite all-time sayings is by uh, Theodore Geisel, also known as Dr. Seuss. Those who mind don't matter. Those who matter don't mind. Ah, uh, yeah, that, that's a very wise quote. And, you know, you said most. I think that's actually the majority of society because... I got into a deep conversation not too long about not too long ago um, about how in human nature we're wired for survival, which is kind of a, a dual edged sword in a sense. Yeah. Right. That it's good because, you know, we're hunters in an essence, but we're, we fear that because of the uncertainty and we choose comfort, which is the other side of the sword. So like what you were saying is like most people you know, like, nah, like, like, that's not worth it. Like, like, look for instant gratification almost and say, well, what am I going to get out of this? 
it's like you're putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> like you haven't yeah. even done shit before you're actually and you're trying to find an expect. And that's majority of so- society, actually. I mean, yeah. if you look at, you know, yourself, your career, right? The reason you are where you are in your stage in your life, life, family, business is because you were a risk taker. Because you sacrifice, because you're a disruptor, because you innovated. And I could depict that from everything that you've said so far on this episode, because I'm very much that way. And I think that's in part also with our with our culture as well, because there was something I read years ago. I think it was a Forbes article that really stuck out to me. Forty percent of America's fortune companies are built by immigrants or children of immigrants. Google being one of them. Right. And so like suddenly it's like, wait, there's a common denominator here. Right. And then when I researched it more, it's like, you know, as immigrants, we risk more for for we play the long game. You know, we we disrupt. We take chances when when others try to play it safe. Right. So I want to segue into a, a key, key area that I want to talk about and would love to hear your thoughts about. So one of the specific things that sort of, you know, in the epicenter of everything that you do is you go beyond advice and expertise and, and, and emphasize the importance of building trusted relationships with clients and colleagues. Let's talk about that. And, and can you maybe extrapolate that a little bit more and talk about the nuance of that? Yeah, so, so you know, my area of expertise, uh, subject-wise, is in the area of creativity, innovation, business innovation, organizational innovation, um, mm-hmm. and we could, you know, spend hours just talking about that. But that's my that's my tradecraft. That's what I know. So, anytime you are as an entrepreneur or consultant or advisor or, or somebody who's working inside a corporation trying to affect change, yeah. there's something that you know. You're providing expertise, knowledge. That's business currency. That's essential to success. That's like sort of the yeah. fundamentals, right? And I teach a lot of uh, individuals and other, uh, now I'm known as the consultant's consultant. So I teach a lot of those fundamentals. But the game changer is the social currency. Your ability mm. to uh, work with diverse uh, people, uh, you know, empathize with them, relate to them, connect with them. Uh, so one of the things I've been very blessed with, again, through a lot of my initiatives and also through opportunities and mentors who've uh, supported me in, in years past, is I've worked the gamut, the range from somebody on the frontline factory worker and learning how to relate to somebody there and yeah. support them in their change journey, if you will, to the CEO of a large, you know, multi-billion dollar corporation. You know, they're the, the constant, they're both human. Constant, yeah. they have certain characteristics that are similar, and yet their view of the world, their set of experiences different. And so, as a advisor, entrepreneur, you have to learn how to deal with those two individuals and everything in between. Yeah. And, and and that to me is social currency, is your ability to influence, listen, communicate, engage. Those are the kind of qualities that through experiences that I've developed and then advising others to sort of master as well yeah, is what helped them succeed enormously in their career or their business. So one thing that you said, and I'd love to hear more about this, you said social currency, um, you know, listening and, and responding. And, and so 
um, as you work with, you know, a lot of different, you know, um, C-suite, uh, you know, upper management individuals is that what's really interesting is, is that you've obviously come into play with those opportunities because there was a need there, right. Uh, to, to help these people develop their social currency. Right. So when we're talking about social currency, are you just talking about like people figuring out how to deal with other people? Are you talking about social currency in an essence of, well, social media also, which in essence is kind of correlated to that. Can you elaborate more about that? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Ivan. It it also, it's not just your ability to relate to people. That is, that's essential. I mean, those, those are the raw sort of essentials to success, but it is also um, using the, the different, both soft and hard sort of technologies to define your message, your character, your branding. So again, let's use the, the BNPP story. This is, you know, every time I walked into these executives' office, imagine I'm going to create the scene here. Paris, France, very aristocratic, very sophisticated, cafes, croissants, you name it kind of thing. And you walk in, it's like walking into the court of Versailles, you know, hermetically sealed offices, you know, they're a thousand years old, thick carpeting, all this kind of stuff. And where's this Cleveland, Ohio guy show up with, you know, very (laughs) nice designer jeans, Barbados jacket. Nice you know, t-shirt you gotta be ballsy you know to yeah. do that. but that's my brand that's what they yeah. hired because they knew they needed to think differently yeah and i was confident and it never was an issue they didn't say oh what is this guy yep. he, like he was just rolled off on the streets of paris <laughs> into our corridors how did we get this guy in here not at all because how i yeah. conducted myself on a human level Right. So using those kinds of tools has become my brand, which is obviously using social media. Now, uh, that's that's my whole program is unplugged, but in a sophisticated fashion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting that you said this Cleveland, Ohio kid shows up, you know, with with the jeans, designer jeans. And what's really funny is is I can relate to that. And I should struggle with it for years, because when I started out, you know, with my career is just that I always thought, okay, be suited up. Right. Like, like that, that's what they wanted. And I was like, honestly, if I look back at that, I'm like, fuck that. Give me my white t-shirt and my shorts or jeans. That's right. me. You don't like it. Fuck off. Honestly. And I was so worried about, you know, what people thought at the time I was so worried right. about. So it's really interesting. You said like, that's my brand. That's what they bought. And I'm a huge fan of that more than ever. I'm like, white t-shirts, you see, probably wearing a hat. I got shorts that you can't see below the torso (laughs) or jeans, depending on where I'm going and probably flip flops. What most people don't understand in business and entrepreneurs is is that don't judge a book by its cover. Yep. Because it's this that matters, right? It's what you bring to the table. So as you showed up, in the mecca of culture in the world, the croissants and and these these old ass buildings that, you know, 15, 16 century or even older than that, that yeah. you're never going to see in the United States because the history just isn't there. Right? right. Most people are like, what the hell is this dude doing here? Right. Yeah. So it's really fascinating, though. And I think this is key for listeners and viewers to understand that. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how you dress. Okay. Some people say, well, dress to impress. I think in certain capacities, maybe, but it's what you bring to the table, right? 
Sure. It's forever showing respect. It's not like you're not disregarding the sort of environment in which you and I was always yeah. attuned to that. But I'll give you, again, stay, staying with that example, I knew when I saw that engagement, this was a multi-million dollar engagement, and I knew yeah. precisely the moment that it was because of me and what I, how I showed up. I, my colleagues, I had a team of other people, they went through their PowerPoint deck, yep. ad nauseum, ad nauseum. You could see the yawns, you could see, all right, typical <laughs> consultants, right? And I, I just spoke up, I said, listen, yeah, you're facing a, may I say, deliciously complex challenge here. You're trying to integrate all these cultures, these businesses, yeah. you know, yeah. you're trying to, how do you rally? I spoke to their emotions and their feelings about the circumstance. And you could see the shift in energy. Yeah. That's how I saw that engagement. Not yeah. the fancy diagrams and plans and uh, Excel spreadsheets and results that we're going to achieve. That's table stakes. Yeah. It's your ability to connect with that human being in that particular circumstances is what is the game changer. Yeah, I think overthinking it, honestly. I, I think... You know, a lot of companies and entrepreneurs, I, I, I've seen this and I'm sure you have, you know, through your vast experiences is that I think too many leaders and executives specifically are always like so over the top on everything, you know, like they, they, they think that they need to impress, they shoot to impress, they try to go over the top and they forget that, you know what, simplicity is key. It's like, you know, uh, so one of the things that I, both of us are fans, fans of is ethos. Right. Uh -huh. When you really harness in on, on ethos, it's like you're never going to go wrong because business is about doing, you know, other people solving problems or you solving problems for other people. So it's people connecting. And I think especially over the last five years and even last year with COVID, I mean, you know, I think COVID was was, you know, very challenging, but it was a fucking blessing for a lot of businesses because they were forced to innovate. They were forced to pivot. Because they had no choice. And suddenly they realized that, oh, fuck, we haven't been doing this in a while. No wonder our business sucks. And then we saw that with the retail space. We saw, what, we saw that with malls around the United States because malls were catering to a target audience the way they have been for 50 years. Yeah. People yeah. don't want to fucking, I mean, why would I drag my ass to the mall when I can sit on the couch, hit a button, and Amazon delivers within the hour or the next day? Like, you know, is it the experience? So I think modern business, and this is where I think you've had an immense amount of success, is that you understand what modern business is about. And you help these leaders understand, teach them how to cater to the people that they're trying to serve, the people and companies, right? Yeah. Bingo. I mean, again, is to evolve your thinking in those kinds mm -hmm. of situations. Um you know, modern business requires you to do you know, my, my whole business. Uh, you know, I own a business that's called disrupt by design. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you know, if you're not the disruptor, you will be disrupted. And, <laughs> you know, and, and this is right. a perfect example of that. I wanted right. to just add one thing to the previous story that I said is uh, what I want your audience to understand is, is, it, you know, the mastery of that sort of emotional intelligence, if you will, has to be authentic by all means, because I've seen yeah. it in reverse where I've seen people who are too slick, too wooden. You know, they come into your office and say, oh, I see you go skiing in, uh, is that Colorado? You know, it's like so obvious that they just got out of our training course and yeah. they said, be sure to pay attention to what's on their credenza kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course. But it has to be natural. It has yeah. to be authentic. Otherwise, people are going to see through that bullshit all the time. Uh, you know, what's really interesting that you said is, I, I mean, there's so many things you mentioned in this episode, man. That I'm like, oh, yeah, been there, done that, failed, you know, got the T-shirt, so to speak. Right. right. And this podcast, including because this podcast has ran for six years. The first two years, it was a marketing podcast. And I was like, well, fuck. First of all, most people can Google a lot of this shit. Right. So secondly, like I'm not bringing anything authentic. Not to mention is I'm not being my true self. Yeah. And when Ross came about, which Ross stands for raw shit, which of course, Apple and the other podcasting platforms like you can't say shit. So, OK, abbreviate <laughs> it. Right. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck? It's 2021. Are you like Joe Rogan gets two hundred million dollar deal on Spotify and Apple gets their butts hurt over using the word shit? It's like, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? You know? So, but as it pivoted, it had to pivot and change because the Ross project is not for everybody. It's for somebody, for somebody that wants to hear what you have to say, Andrew, because your message, your value, your appearance, your persona will impact the life of one person. That's all I give a fuck about, honestly, because I think especially in, and you know, this in business and entrepreneurship yeah. is too many try to impact the lives of many, but they can't even impact the life of one. Right. Yeah. Trying to appeal to the masses, but you can't even appeal to one person. Like, uh, how are you going to change the world and create impact, which impact is one of the core values of my business. Like somebody want to create impact and change, but they can even do it on an individual level. That's why I'm such a huge fan of everything that you said. And, and I love how going beyond advice and expertise and enforcing the importance of building trusted relationships, keyword yeah. trusted. There was something I actually heard from a, from a big influencer, someone that spent like 60 million on influencers and, you know, has done a bunch of stuff. But he said, when it comes to business, I think too many entrepreneurs and companies say, I want 200 clients or 2,000 clients or 20,000 clients, right? They're looking at a quantity. They're not looking at, well, how about if you had 20 whale clients or even 10? Because you're not in the business of selling a price tag. You're in the business of selling value, right? Because that's yeah. what we do, Andrew. Yeah, you nailed it. It's absolutely true. I think we do get caught up in, you know, and, and you're going to be chasing it. Uh, yeah. and, and talk about T-shirt. I've worn that T-shirt many times over. <laughs> I've worked for organizations to that I, you know, you get a T-shirt every time you try to hit that yeah. metric. And then yet you never seem to ever succeed with that kind of mindset. Yeah. It's better to yeah. have a really quality impact that one or two um, and, and, and strengthen those relationships because then mm -hmm. if it's, if it makes sense and you've got a business model that, um, you can construct that way, then of course you can scale it, right? Yeah. Then you can get the, the volume, if you will, so to speak. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I, I know we could probably chat indefinitely because there's so much here that's, uh, that's relatable to a lot of things that you've done and a lot of things that I personally believe in, you know, at a heart level specifically, which correlates to business. But before we wrap up the episode, can you throw out some social handles, websites? How can people sure. reach you and connect you? 
Yeah. So one of the best ways to, to get more information about my business and my mission, which is to empower the next generation of entrepreneurs and uh, innovators is uh, consultingunplugged.com. So consultingunplugged.com, or you can find me on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on pretty active. I'm also on Facebook and uh, Instagram, but LinkedIn yeah. is the best. Uh, Andrew Peck, P-E-K. That's a Hungarian name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so you can find me there. Happy to uh, uh, accept people's invitation and, and uh, support them in their journey. Awesome, Andrew. I want to thank you so much, man. This was a powerhouse of an episode and I absolutely 100% enjoyed every bit of it. Well, likewise. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>